Pace Line is produced by the Cycling Independent with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Amlin, Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Um, so we're redoing this because of technical difficulties. Uh, and so um, I've already asked you this once, but I'm going to ask you again. What the hell is it going on with Boston? It's like 55 degrees there. Um, and it's December. Uh, yeah, it's been this way. Um, and I, I don't know. I'm such an idiot. I could just leave a period at the end of that (laughs) sentence, but no, you could every, every year I fall into this trap where it gets cold and I'm like, Oh, it's winter now. It's not, it's not. It almost seems like it, obviously, for climate change reasons, it gets later and later when actual winter starts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But but also what I've noticed is it can be January and you get a day where it rains and it's 60. Why? I mean, you know, the jet stream is unstable now. And so today we're having a pretty classic New England fall rainstorm where it's blowy and rainy and... Whatever you know, trees were, st- whatever leaves were still in the trees are now absolutely gone. Yeah, they are. And the good news is because it's raining, no one is running a leaf blower. Um, Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> so for now, we're leaf blower free, uh, at least until snowblower season starts when we'll get snowblower. We'll get that, uh, that rumbly, horrible sound of the snowblower. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very much still fall. It's been raining here a pretty fair amount. And while I'm a little complaining about that right now, I know better than to be very loud about it. And that uh, come June, I will be very, very grateful it was raining this much. Yes, a full aquifer uh, and, a, and, a, and a high water table is to your benefit. Yeah, uh, the, the, the current weather conditions will come into play in my pool coming up a little later in the show. So oh, good. Uh, I'm I'm going to try not to get my powder wet. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh, All righty. Well, why don't you lead us in here? OK, so what I, what's on my mind this week is I was riding with a friend the other day. Um, this person is someone I ride mountain bikes with all the time. She's good rider, but she's ridden much less. She's I, I think she started mountain biking in her 40s. Um, she's a strong athlete. Uh, she's very capable. Um, you know, she's, we're close friends. We've trail run together. Uh, we've, we've skied together. Uh, we've done all that stuff. Uh, I am a more experienced cyclist than she is. Uh, but she is, (laughs) she is entirely capable of taking care of herself uh, in most instances. Nonetheless, 
I felt some level of responsibility uh, since she almost never rides gravel bikes mm-hmm. uh, to kind of tune my approach so she could enjoy herself on our ride without too much stress. I mean, we're going to spend most of it sort of chit-chatting anyway, but um, better she doesn't go home with a bloody lip or uh, yeah another, another issue. Uh, because this is New England, the actual ride... <laughs> You say gravel ride, but what does that mean? Um, <laughs> here, we uh, we rode our way down a paved bike path. Then we jumped on a long. It was a. It's a former rail bed, but it is unpaved and all dirt now. Uh, super fun. Uh, then we were on an actual asphalt road surface, mm-hmm. um, and then a long cinder track that runs through. Um, uh, a sort of revolutionary era farmland, which is super beautiful. Um, anyway, so I felt like it was my job uh, because I invited her and I chose the bike uh, to sort of create enough room for her to navigate all that at her speed and comfort level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think it, this is about kind of the duty of care we owe to our riding companions. In fact, I wasn't I wasn't thinking much about it while we were riding, at least not consciously, uh, until we popped out of the rail bed onto the proper road. Mm -hmm. At that point, I shifted into what I call road mode, um, which means that if you're on the front, you point out potholes, obstacles, traffic stuff um, for the people behind you. Right, right. You point out things so small on the road that you wouldn't even consider pointing them out while on a dirt road. Yeah, that's the that's the irony here that we mm-hmm. we had just been rambling through all manner of dirt, rocks, roots and other off-road fun without a single gesture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're on 40 millimeter tires, it's all good, take care yep. of yourself, right? Yep. yep. Then all of a sudden we're on pavement and I go into this elaborate semaphore uh, (laughs) about what's happening. (laughs) Did you bring flags? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just about, you know, it's like you've got the hip bump gesture for cars and you've got the 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 raking motion if it's a pedestrian. And then you've got pointing at potholes and things or you you. Like slow down here is a is a flat open hand behind you. Yeah, I think these things are pretty universal. It, it's kind of like charades in a way, you know. It, everybody knows what it means when you grab your earlobe, except me. I can't remember. Yeah, sounds like tractor right. trailer coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, that goes that goes to the ethos of those activities. Explain that. Okay. Uh, uh, having left the pregnant pause. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is a, uh, I like to talk about the social contract of cycling and it varies depending on what discipline you're talking about. I don't know what the social contract is of BMX riding, but I am sure there is one. Right. Uh, on, on the road, because, you know, it used to be everybody was on 23 millimeter tires. And if you hit one little scrap of glass, 18 guys were going down. Um, you know, so you, you point out all the things, everything that's not relatively smooth asphalt, um, you know, gets a bookmark, uh, 
And yeah, it can mean that like one of your hands is off your bar, like half the ride. Um, I, in my head, I equate it to the responsibility of being the driver of a car. Uh, Everyone around you might be perfectly competent drivers in their own right. uh, And, you know, capable people in all of the ways. Um, But if I'm driving the car, you know, it's like I, I have to take care of these people. I have to drive in a way that doesn't alarm them or maybe give my passenger, you know, uh, uh, nausea from, you know, taking curves too quickly. I, I have to think about the people in the vehicle with me, um, yeah. you know, and so it, it's to me, it's very much that way. But it's so funny what a different standard it is on mountain bikes or gravel bikes. Um, yeah, you know, on a mountain bike, I'm going to point out the things that you ought to hit. Oh yeah. Go off that lip. Yeah, exactly. This boulder rolls. That one doesn't. Uh, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. And when I say rolls, I mean, you can roll over it. Right. Uh, not, not that it moves while you're on it. That's right. That would be some, of those, some of different... those you'll point out too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't have that skill set. I'm not all Danny McCaskill up in that. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, yeah, I get the, the inherent absurdity of you've just gone to a thing that's much easier to ride on. And now you're pointing everything out. It's not, it, it's, it's not muscle memory, but it is a behavioral thing that is deeply ingrained. I don't know that I could get on the road and not start pointing things out. It would violate my sense of, of <laughs> duty. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's like, um, yeah, that's right. It's and uh, I equate you know, like to, to use your car analogy. When I pull out of the driveway pre-dawn to go someplace, I use my turn signals and my wife is like, who are you signaling to? <laughs> I'm like, well, nobody. But when I drive the car, I use my turn signals. That's just how it works. Yeah. Yeah. This is the behavior. I, yeah. I hit the turn signal before I begin the turn, whether right. or not there's anybody who can see me the, I don't ask whether or not there's a sound in the forest when the tree falls. Right. I know how air works. Right. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, if I had been with, because, um, because my friend is less experienced and I don't want this to be a patronizing thing. As I said, she's fully capable of all the things. Um, but there is this, there was this heightened sense for me of taking care and doing things the right way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is sort of um, I, I, I was thinking about the politics of writing with other people, and I have been thinking about it. And some of this I addressed in a piece on the site the other day called Triangulation Strangulation. <laughs> I love that uh, title. <laughs> yeah, that one focused more on the difficulty of getting a group together for a ride. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this one can leave at seven and that one has to be back by 830. And like, what's that? You know, who can be where, when and uh, all of that. So this is the next layer, the part where you've managed to get together and then and then you have to align everyone's goals and levels of experience and comfort so you can enjoy the ride together. Because I'm not 
I'm not setting any records. I'm not trying to prove anything to anyone. When I'm riding with people, I'm trying to hang out with them and have a good time doing the thing that we like to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the hand signals of road riding just struck me as this amazing metaphor for that because you're on the front. You're, you know, you're in charge mm-hmm. uh, for however many moments you're up there. You're not just pulling the group, but you're guiding them. And it's a lot. It's a responsibility. It's stuff you have to do. But it, that also does extend to, you know, are you riding to everyone's level on the trail? Um, mm-hmm. You know, what are the things as a group that you can agree on are the right way to navigate your togetherness out yeah. there? And I wonder if uh, the reason a lot of us ride solo so often isn't just because of that first part, the logistics of trying to get everyone in one place at the same time, but also that the responsibility of pulling and guiding a group, even if it's only intermittently, is just sometimes more than we want to do. I I don't have that excuse. Uh, I just have not been making the same effort to try to find people to ride with for most of this year, because I keep winking out of existence, you know, two mm-hmm. weeks in Memphis, uh, you know, a, a, a week in Utah, uh, 10 days, you know, here or there, Seattle every month. Um, yeah, I it, my my social connections are um, pretty badly frayed right now. Um, I would welcome the opportunity to be uh, pointing stuff out. As a matter of fact, uh, my girlfriend, Jennifer, was here. Uh, just recently and we went out for a mountain bike ride and I decided to take her around to a place an entrance to the park that um, due to my uh, gadfly memory uh, I had forgotten that I'd actually taken her uh, up that uh, particular entrance to the park before but we were using a slightly different trail to get there and a little ways in, she said, okay, time out. What, what is the ride plan? What is it we're doing now? She is a former tour guide. Um, after her stint as one of the Blackburn Rangers, uh, for a couple of years, she actually joined, uh, uh, bicycle adventures, uh, a Seattle based, uh, tour touring outfit and led tours for them. Uh, that's something I really, I would love to witness that what she's like as a tour guide, but you know, she's accustomed to like rounding up a bunch of people and giving a route talk. Um, even if she hasn't done this in a few years, still her brain operates that way. And so I had to say, Oh, well, you know, we've got this little trail here and it's kind of rolling and there'll be a few little difficult spots. I'll point those out and then we'll get on the climb and uh, we'll be climbing that for a solid 20 minutes or so. And then we'll get to an intersection where you get to choose the next fun thing we do. Um, And it was, yeah, I was, um, I was kind of in solo rider mode. I really hadn't thought about what it was I needed to, communicate to her because I haven't been needing to communicate with anybody. Uh, Most of the time, if I'm riding with other people, I'm on their territory, not my own. Um, And so, yeah, I was uh, oddly out of practice. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I think when you ride alone a lot and you ride the same stuff a lot, you get experience blind Where, okay, Mm -hmm. now you know where every obstacle is and you know the route and you know the way. 
and you unconsciously are riding faster than you would if you were just encountering it for the first time. Oh, yeah. And so you have to adjust your mindset with people who are less familiar with it uh, to leave space for them to, you know, uh, experience it for themselves and, and learn it and enjoy it without feeling like, you know, I've been on these rides before with people and I'm not the I don't really demand a lot of explanation in advance. I feel like mostly I'm signed up for whatever you're going to put me through. Uh, and <laughs> and but I have the experience of being like at full tilt, like in the red, just riding as hard as I can and dealing with the terrain as best I can for long periods of time. Not everyone is up for that. Very true. A lot of people have a different level of endurance uh, on terrain they don't know versus terrain they know. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I think I probably do, too. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a it's a detail you can miss if you if you don't think about it. And that's yeah. kind of what I'm that's kind of what I'm, I'm saying. Like, we, you know, we do have this responsibility <laughs> and it, it stems from. That not having anything to prove this. Like when I ride with someone, I want to ride with them. I'm not trying to ride 50 yards off the front mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and make them feel like they're chasing the whole time or ride right on their wheel and call out in, you know, directions from behind all the time. Like, that's not what it's about. It's about like, let's do this together and have fun. And that's a different mindset than when I go out on my own, whether I'm out, you know, trying hard mm -hmm. and going fast or whether I'm just rambling. Yes. Well, I, you know, I will I will recall a previous episode of the pace line, one that I recorded with Celine a couple of years back where uh, somebody later turned it into a meme. That was kind of gratifying. When I invite someone for a ride, I want to ride with them, not yeah. against them. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, to me, it's yeah, that's super, super straightforward. <laughs> I will note that I have encountered one struggle on occasion in mountain biking. I'm taking somebody out on terrain. They don't know. I know it. I'm clearing. I'm cleaning all the sections. Right. Um, I'm not trying to go fast, but I'm not getting hung up on anything. And so I am frequently pulling over and stopping and waiting and my perception of my behavior is that I'm just being mellow and hanging out and like, okay, you, you, you know, you need a moment to, to breathe. Yeah. That's fine. Whatever. Uh, it, it, you know, is this snack time? Okay, cool. Um, but I did once have someone conclude that because I was being so quiet, I must be pissed off. Yeah, I've had that. I've had that as well. And I, uh, absolutely. I've had, I've experienced that. And I always say, look, I'm here, I'm here to hang. I'm here to like do the thing. It's all good. I mean, like I'm in the woods. I have no problems. If I'm pissed off and, then I, and I'm in the woods, I, there's something wrong with me. It's got right. nothing to do with you. Right. Right. Uh, and so I, you know, I'm not I've never I'm an introvert. OK, Same. I am not a cheerleader. Uh, right. I would not make a great coach, um, you know, in that classic motivating, you know, yeah. Braveheart speech sort of way. I'm not that dude. Um but I'm supportive and generally pretty mellow. Um, so I've got to figure out some way to uh, spice up my behavior so that when I take some somebody to a new place that they don't know, I, you know, the last thing in the world I want to 
I want to be perceived as is being impatient. You know, to a degree, I'm with you. I don't think it's about you spicing up your behavior. For me, I say what my intentions are. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm mellow. I'm cool. I'm having a good time. Don't worry about me. And after that, if they want to impute impatience or lack of fun in what I'm doing, that that's about them and not about me. You know, you can only kind of put your best out there and like, I'm not lying to anyone out, out, (laughs) you know, I'm not, I'm not humoring you. Right. Um, Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What a thing. I, um, yeah. Uh, it once caused a real crisis and it it just, it was, I, I, you know, I never fully dug out of it is, is the, the, the actual fact of the matter. I never fully dug out of that event. And it's like, no, I had a great time. I was just yeah, quite, I, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm not doing cartwheels in the woods and I don't have my pom poms and we're in a beautiful redwood forest. What could go wrong? Right. I like riding bikes fast. I also really like riding them slow. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. As an aside, you mentioned riding a trail you're familiar with and cleaning the whole thing. I was riding uh, a familiar piece of trail the other day, and there's a very, there's a difficult cardiovascularly and technically speaking climb, and I was halfway up it, and I got a little stuck, and I reached out with my right hand and touched a tree, Uh and I was alone. I was completely alone, and I yelled, that doesn't count, and I kept going. (laughs) (laughs) i'm still taking full credit for cleaning it (laughs) yeah exactly exactly no one there but me and i i still yell that doesn't count you know by the way i i am aware that my current fitness uh speaking of cleaning things my current fitness is not uh what we would call mm, stellar um And so there's a lot of stuff where I'm slow and there's stuff where sometimes I'm slow enough that I can't clean it. Right. Because mountain biking often requires mm, velocity. Yeah. Um, Well, I was on my new Ibis Ripley and there's this one little hill. It's not long, but it's super, super chunky and there's some exposed roots and whatnot. And I, I don't clean that thing more often than I clean it. And this was the first time I had hit it on the new carbon fiber Ripley. And I just rode right up it. And I, you know, that would be not terribly remarkable were it not for the fact that fact that, uh, well, there's a Freudian slip. Um, (laughs) We can leave it at that. Yeah. Were it not for the, Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, technology is uh, better than skill sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Or fitness or whatever. Yeah, it's fun when you have those moments where it's like, oh, I think that bike just helps me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those- the bike is definitely a better rider than I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Alrighty. Well, what do you say we take a little break for Shimano and then we will come back? Sounds good. I was a know-it-all bike mechanic back in the 1990s when I learned that Shimano was introducing the first integrated brake and shift lever. (sighs) Laughably, I dismissed it. 
I can recall making comments about how easy it was to move my hand from my bar to my shift lever. Though young, I was already well-versed in snark. And then I rode a bike equipped with Shimano's Dura-Ace STI. Ladies and gentlemen, I ate the crow, feathers and all. Not only had I been wrong about how handy the invention was, even beyond the ease of operation, what I learned was that I could shift more often and in circumstances too dicey to be willing to take a hand off the bar. In time, I realized that they increased my efficiency, allowing me to downshift even as I was breaking through a turn. Shimano fundamentally changed how I ride road bikes, and they did so for the better. Okay, we're back with The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What's your poll for us this week? Well, as I mentioned in one of our last two episodes, I signed my 13-year-old son, Philip, up for the middle school program in uh, the National Interscholastic Cycling Association, also known as NICA. So high school mountain bike racing. Yeah. In middle school, my understand I'm still deep in the learning curve on this. My understanding is that the middle school kids will go out and ride. They don't really do races, but there are races we're going to go to and they will go around the course and I have no idea what's going to unfold. But anyway, uh, uh, I signed him up for this to get him to meet other kids who were riding and have, you know, cycling friends for the first time in his life. Um, oddly enough, he's in seventh grade. I could have signed it up, up last year when he was in sixth grade. So I missed out on that. Um, anyway, so, uh, as I mentioned, I'm not a cheerleader. I'm also not the dad who is the least bit helpful in basketball, baseball, volleyball, or any of the other sports balls. Um, but as our current recording suggests, I know a thing or two about cycling. So I figured I had a responsibility to help the team in any way I could. Also, me being a cyclist, I just could not see myself dropping Philip off for a ride in Annadel State Park with the A-team and just heading off. You know, it's such a difficult place to ride. It's like, no, I have a duty of care to be there. Well, my sense of duty of care has a certain requirement where the National Interscholastic Cycling Association is concerned. <laughs> Turns out to ride with the team or be any help at all, you have to become a coach. They have three levels of coaches, and I tested for level one. Before we go any further, let me just say, good grief, I am impressed with that organization. Now, I was impressed with them before. Uh, anyone who's never seen Single Track High needs to find that on YouTube and watch it. It is an amazing little film. Um, and if you don't need Kleenex, you have a heart of stone. Um, <laughs> it, so I challenge accepted. Go on. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, everything I knew about them, I was impressed, but to become a level one coach, 
that required a course and it took about five hours start to finish. I had to break it up over a couple of days because I thought it was going to be like two hours and I'd be done. No, I wasn't close to done after two hours. And I was tested on the material to make sure that I actually knew it. These were multiple choice tests, so not super hard. Um, and some common sense would get you through pretty well. Um, I didn't actually ace all of the tests. Uh, I, I believe I missed two questions over the course of the thing. Um, but nearly half the course is about sexual harassment and abuse. Um, it discusses the signs to look for in child predators, as well as explaining Nike's standard for making sure that there are no one-on-one -on -one interactions between an athlete and adult, an adult or two athletes. There always has to be a third person. All this is just prelude to last Saturday. <clears throat> Remember that thing where I talked about cold and rain? Mm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was what the fiction writers call foreshadowing. When I woke Saturday morning, we were between showers, fortunately, and the temperature was in the low 40s. My son, Mini Shred, a.k.a. Philip, had never ridden bikes in the rain. Uh, nor had he ridden in weather colder than 50 degrees. Uh, so I let the boy sleep. I figured if I made him show up, he'd hate cycling. Um, I mean, it took me years to decide that I loved cycling enough to do it in the rain. Uh, yeah, that didn't involve my father going, Hey, you need to get up. Right. I'm, I'm waking you from a sound sleep so you can go be cold, wet in a, in a difficult social situation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's yeah. do it all. Yeah. Let, yeah. yeah. Let's pile as much social anxiety on top of that as possible. Right. 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 Yeah. Your, your, your little seventh grade heart. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, but I still figured I should head over because I might mm, maybe still be useful uh, due to no shows among coaches as well as students. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. Uh, there were at least three dozen students who had come out. The temperature was in the low forties drizzle filled the air as we rolled out. By the time we arrived at the top of the first big climb, rain was falling and the rocks were beginning to turn slick. Um, we established a pattern of riding several hundred meters and then letting the group recollect. Uh, my group had four coaches and six riders, all boys in seventh or eighth grade. Um, and <laughs> it was, it was a really delightful bunch of people. And I, I, I suspect that that's just kind of par for the course with Nika after winding through the park for the better part of an hour. Uh, it was time for us to descend back out of the park and to the parking lot where we started from by this time it's full on raining. Nice. The temperature may have gone down over the course of the morning. Right. Uh, most of the kids were in gym shorts and like cotton sweatshirts or maybe polyester ones. We definitely had some cotton on the ride, which, you know, for anyone who's never really considered this in any depth is literally the only material that can make you feel colder and wetter than you already are. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's like the perfect torture material. Uh, for, for bad, nasty conditions. Uh, at one point, we crossed paths with one of the groups of high school riders, and a couple of those kids 
had a look in their eyes that was so hungry. It was predatory. <laughs> it was a delight to see. Uh, it was also a record, uh, a look that I recognized. I no longer develop uh, with any routine regularity. Uh, but the boys that we had, again, seventh and eighth graders, they never once complained. Uh, there was certainly plenty of commiserating between kids and coaches about numb fingers and, you know, wet feet and that sort of thing. Uh, but the kids were just tough as nails. Um, I don't think any of them had knee warmers on. One had some tights. Uh, our descent was down a trail that is really very rocky. Uh, this was granite and basalt. The basalt wasn't terrible when wet, but just a little unpredictable. But the granite felt like it was covered in a chain loop. <laughs> right. You know, but even so, we had some dabs, but no major falls. Uh, nobody got hurt. Um, needless to say, our farewells were brief. Um, I've just, I've never been more impressed by a bunch of young athletes. I was not made of half that stuff at that age. Um, and dude, uh, you know, for all our talk of season and whatnot, it's not even January. And already these kids have proven tougher than me. Um, I mean, what has gone unsaid in all this is I had all of the right gear on and even <laughs> I was uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking at, you know, kids with shorts that are relatively porous. Uh, and, you know, this is going to be a very, very interesting year for me and uh, hopefully Philip, but uh, I, I have quite the adventure in front of me uh, in, in learning about these kids and, and trying to be useful to them. Yeah, I had this, I had a similar experience on the soccer side. I, I've played soccer my whole life. I've watched soccer my whole life. I know more than a person should about soccer. Um, <laughs> And when it came time for my kids to play, I signed up to coach and I was like, I'm ready for this because I know so much. And then I went through the coaching courses and learned all the things that I didn't know, uh, which was a lot. Um, all the things you mentioned and a lot more. And actually, I found that uh, what I learned in the coaching courses helped me um, navigate my uh, adult life as well as my youth coaching. Mm -hmm. um, just understanding people's motivations and how they learn, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, um, you brought up cotton. Uh, uh, the, the popular saying is cotton will kill you. That's yeah. a cyclist thing. Cotton will kill you. Um, but I also thought as you were wrapping up there, Southern California will kill you because, <laughs> because you left Northampton, Massachusetts as a, as a, as a tough guy. And you went to Southern California and just softened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, You're not wrong. None of those like 40 and raining is the worst. It's mm -hmm. much better for it to be 28 and dry than 40 and raining. Um, Most of the races that I ever won, it was yeah. like 39 and raining. Yeah. I, I, I don't I mean, like we would look at the temperature and it was 39 and there came a point where. It was like, if it was 39, I'd start to think, oh, I have a shot at winning. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, I definitely soften. There's no, no doubt about that. Um, 
And this is not me taking a shot at you. I'm oh, just, you know, I, you know, or it's a small shot. It's it's fine. Uh, it's fine. You know, I mean, the funny thing is the hardest single day I've ever had on the bike or one of them, certainly in my top three, was uh, March 2019 at Fish Rock up in Mendocino County. I forget how many hours I was out there, five, six, 70 some miles um, mm. and 30 of it on on very unimproved dirt road uh, and uh, mid 40s and raining. Uh, mm. At one point, they went out and started pulling people off the course because of hypothermia. Uh, so it was that was a big, rough day. Um, I am certainly softened as far as doing this stuff for a training ride. Pin a number <laughs> yep. on me and I have a completely different mindset. I did not have a number pinned on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, the other thing that happens in that weather mm-hmm. is that you have to keep moving. You have to, whatever body <laughs> heat you generate, you have to hold on to. And when you're stopping all the time and regrouping and like you go warm, you go cold, you go warm, you go cold. It's brutal. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we got to a point where we were <clears throat> very much acknowledging that, you know, it's like everybody here. OK, let's let's keep moving. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, we had to have a real conversation about, well, what way are we going to take down out of the park? Because the original way planned was even rockier than the way we ended up taking. And yeah, yeah, you know, 12 and 18 inch uh, drops off rocks. uh, No, it was not going to be a a good thing. These kids, though, man, um, I mean, I was in Boy Scouts. I remember how, you know, teenage boys will will moan and complain and whine. I did it. Yeah. I remember my own behavior to say these kids took it in stride doesn't really give them their full due. Well, it's it's them, right? It, so it speaks to a level of resilience, but it also speaks to a level of, excuse the term, stoke. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. just so stoked to ride their bikes in the woods that like, yeah, it's raining. So what? Uh, yeah, we don't like it, but so what? We're still here. I mean, that's inspiring because that's, you know, that's the stuff that gets me out in the rain. Yeah. I can't yeah. not go. Oh, yeah. It's supposed to pour this coming Saturday. I know exactly where I will be Saturday morning. Right. I I, I can't wait to be there to support these kids. Yeah. Yeah. We just got to get you some more clothing. Oh, no, I've got all the right clothing. I have plenty of clothing. I, I don't have anything to complain about yes. or make excuses for me. I, I'm I'm good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but still, even my fingers were numb at the end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I tell you, for people out there listening uh, who have teenage kids, uh, even if they haven't much liked bikes, I I would encourage you to take a look at Nika. It's I'm just so so very impressed with that organization and what it has built. Um, and the founder of it all, Matt Fritzinger, uh, he lives out in Grayton, just a little west of here. I know him, first rate dude. Uh, he I should buy him beers every time I see him for the rest of his life. Uh, that that. That guy really did society something awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah. All righty. Well, let's move on to baseline picks. All right. Um, unintentionally appropriate. Uh, this week, <laughs> I'm picking a wind vest. Oh. Uh, as we move into this colder weather, I'm deploying a full array of layering strategies, and a good wind vest is usually part of that for me. Mm-hmm. I like a vest that's pretty light, has a pocket or three, uh, and is usually wind blocking at the front and ventilating at the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I know I'm going to warm up as I ride. The vest, or gilet for you Europhiles. <sighs> Anyway, the vest, <laughs> I couldn't not say it. Yep. The vest usually becomes my outer layer. Mm-hmm. Um, I start with a light jacket over it to keep the wind off while I build build the heat. Uh, then I stow the jacket in a vest pocket. Wow. Um, the vests I own and like are the Santini Nebula mm-hmm. and the Panache Pro. Mm-hmm. I have an older version of the Santini that was given to me by a friend who ordered their American, not Euro size. Oh, uh huh. Yeah, so it turned out to be too small for him. Uh, I didn't think too much of it at the time. Like, he gave it to me. I was like, oh, yeah, great, okay. I just thought, like, maybe it would be useful occasionally, but actually, I end up wearing it all the time this time of year. It breathes really well. Uh, which is key if you've got it under a jacket at the beginning of a ride. Uh Um, And I opt for this one when the temperature is a little bit higher, maybe between 45, maybe 35 and 45. Uh Uh, That one is 120 bucks from Santini. Um, I got the Panache Pro wind vest back in the RKP days. Um, Uh We had custom ones made for us as part of the road kit we did back then. And I still wear that thing all the time. It's got better pockets, the, the Santini, but the wind, the, the fabric is less soft. Right. It's more, more sort of stiff and wind blocking. Yep. Uh, I'd say it's a better wind blocker. I tend to wear it in more inclement weather and when it's colder. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one is a, is $125. But either way, like that vest layering piece is, is super important to me. Uh, and I employ it anywhere from 50 degrees down to, well, the coldest days that I ride. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's funny. There's a, there's a temperature at which I stop thinking about vests and I just go full jacket. Um, and here in Sonoma County, that causes me to make regular mistakes about what I should be doing in terms of uh, versatility of wardrobe. Um, I have never employed both a vest and a jacket. Uh, it never occurred to me. <laughs> yeah, like on a really cold day here, I'll put on a long sleeve wool jersey uh-huh. with a vest uh-huh. and then a jacket. Okay. But a but a thin jacket, not a thermal jacket. I tend to mm-hmm. I just a unless, it's, unless it's super cold, I don't do any thermal jackets. Uh-huh. Um cuz I just am going to generate, you know, I'm uh, it's better for me to have layers than to have like a one killer layer. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so then I'll start riding and at some point I heat up under the windbreaker layer and that's when the vest becomes important because you 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 still need to keep the wind off your torso. That's your furnace, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, it's funny. I mean, it, we should at some point quantify your 
your definition of super cold and my definition of super cold? Because I think there's about 15 degrees difference. My super cold starts about 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, it, uh, uh, super cold for me is freezing. So yeah. 12 degrees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and anything below 40 degrees makes me think twice unless I'm pinning a number on. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah it's it's you ride the weather that's in front of you to ride, right? Yes. Uh, and funny thing, because <clears throat> my pick this week is something that I've picked over and over, uh, but you would wear it in m- much different circumstances than <laughs> when I pull it out. Uh, the thermal jacket. Yes. Uh, yes. Um, so uh, I bought these as part of custom team wear, um, as well as monochrome versions from certain brands collections. Uh, this past Saturday, the piece that made the biggest difference in my overall comfort in the cold and rain was my pro thermal jacket by Panache. Oh. Um I yeah. didn't even know you were picking a Panache item. Uh, well, likewise with you. Uh it's relatively lightweight considering just how warm it is. I mean, it does feel like a jacket. It doesn't feel like a windbreaker. Right. Um, it's uh, it's made from three layers. Uh, there's the outer sublimated polyester, then a windproof and waterproof membrane bonded to that, and then bonded to the windstopper layer is a layer of fleece for insulation. Um and this is this is the construction throughout the jacket. Yeah, it's not breathable in the back. <clears throat> um, and it has three pockets in the rear, uh, as well as a zippered security pocket. Um, they can be purchased as part of Panache's custom team wear or as just part of their collection uh, that they sell at retail. Uh, and it has a houndstooth pattern. Uh, most brands that do custom clothing offer what is essentially this jacket. Uh, lots of companies buy this particular material. Some make vests from it as well. Um, I'm pleased to say that for more than 10 years, the custom programs I've ordered from um, have priced it at about $225. Um, how something so useful could be so inflation proof is pretty remarkable. Uh, to me, um, it is a jacket that I should confess I have worn on occasions when I got my uh, my sense of how much the day would warm wrong. Yeah, uh, I mean, Sonoma County, we can vary by 40 degrees in a day. Yeah. Uh, 20 degrees is pretty normal. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I have gotten it wrong. But when being warm is absolutely the thing that I need, I can put on uh, a thermal long sleeve base layer and that and be cold, uh, be, uh, sorry, not be cold, uh, actually feel comfortable at 40 degrees. Um, and it works to even colder temperatures than that. Below freezing, just add a jersey and I'm, I'm warm enough, but it takes a lot to get me out there for that now. Yeah. I mean, just we coincidentally picked uh, pieces from the same uh, clothing maker. Yeah. I, I have liked every piece of panache clothing that I have yeah. owned. Yeah. And, you know, for people who are part of a club or team that's ordering stuff from 
uh, Pactimo or Giordana, Volet. Sportful. Yeah, pretty much everybody has a variation on this jacket. Sportfuls is way different, but Volet, Giordana, Pactimo, and one or two others out there, uh, they're all super, super similar to this. So uh, this is pretty brand agnostic, uh, but we had a very good relationship with Panache uh, while we were doing RKP. And uh, I don't think I've retired a single piece of clothing from that. No, I have I have two of the vests and one of the the zippers is broken. My fault. And uh, I've kept that vest because I'm going to have the zipper fixed. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, everything I have, the war- arm warmers, everything from that that era. And that's got to be 10 years ago or more now. More. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Still going strong. Yeah. Cool. <clears throat> Alrighty. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Uh, this is where we ask you to subscribe. If you haven't already, go ahead, click that button now. Also, if you haven't already check out our other podcasts, revolting, which lives up to its name in some ways, but is highly entertaining. I can confirm, uh, and enter the deuce, which isn't much to do with bikes, but digs deep into the trials of being a parent in the most challenging circumstances possible. Uh, we have two new episodes of that up. Uh, maybe consider leaving a review wherever it is you found us. It makes us more likely other people will listen in. Constructive criticism is also accepted. All right. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.